0: Talking legacy with Magic Hall of Famer Reed Duke. Next on Eternal Dertles.
1: Hello and welcome to Eternal Dirtles. I'm your host Zach Clark, and with me as always Phil Blackman. Phil, how's it going, man? Zach,
0: it's not. A, it, it's not about me. Nobody cares about me. Nobody <laughs> wants. You don't even want to talk to me. Who, who we want to talk to is Magic Hall of Famer, Pro Tour champion Reed Duke on the cast. Reed, welcome
2: to the channel. Reed, welcome. Hey Phil. Hey Zach. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, man, a long time coming. It's a pleasure to have you. Yeah, for so, sure. You know, it doesn't doesn't require too much uh, arm twisting to get me to come chat <laughs> legacy for, for a little while.
1: Yeah, awesome. Yeah, I mean we've we've been following your career for quite some time, so it's it's, it's really great to just uh, have you here in the flesh uh, to hang out with us. Uh, so uh, uh, just we're just gonna pop right into it. Uh, let's talk. Let's talk about legacy. Uh, so what? let's actually just go further back from that. Let's talk about magic. What what drew you to magic initially?
2: Well, I played magic like my whole life ever since I was a little kid, so back then anything with knights and dragons and giants and cool stuff like that would have would have been uh, an easy sell for me. But the the real trick is, you know, how has magic kept my attention over all these years? And it's just such a deep and immersive game both in terms of the strategy of the game and just everything surrounding it you know the art the collecting the lore um so yeah i mean magic's just a really special game in the sense that you can spend a lifetime on it and never run out of things to do yeah Yeah. it's
1: one of those games where i you know i find myself often uh just not like playing and then i realize it's like seven in the morning and i'm like oh god not only has the sun come come up i actually have to start doing things for the day you know
0: and in that regard, you're like I haven't even finished my brew yet. Uh, yeah. One thing that's one, one thing that I, I do adore about this game is you actually see the difference between how much uh, success somebody can have in it. I mean, you are you've reached the pinnacle of the game in many ways, and yet uh, still, when you come and you jam uh, some legacy at uh, at the locals at Gamestoria here in New York, you still got the forest play mat with the green sleeves and the green deck box, and you're going to jam some elves, and it's sweet, and it's just like it, you you just get to see like the grounding of a celebrity in the game and the love for it. And it's like, I, I love meeting the meeting of those two things. It's really lovely.
2: Yeah. And I, I think it's, it's not just a coincidence. I mean, the, my biggest uh, asset in terms of a professional career is I just love magic so much, you know, so it's easy to get up and put in the long hours and, uh, you know, do your best when you're just having a ton of fun.
0: And speaking of, of uh, ton of fun, I want to, I want
2: to get right to the, right to
0: the good stuff. What uh, you've gotten, you've had success in every facet of magic. You've had limited success. You're obviously a pro tour champion and pioneer. You're a magic hall of famer, but I know that you've said on many other podcasts before that legacy is your favorite format. Is that still true? And what is it about legacy
2: that draws you to it? Yeah, I think that's definitely fair to say, you know, it's, it's certain that legacy is my favorite constructed format. I'm a big like limited uh, fan as well, but, but yeah, I think, I think we can say Legacy, legacy is my favorite format and that's not too big of a stretch. Um, and what draws me to it? Well, I like how, I, I guess my, my one sentence answer would be, I think the gameplay of Legacy is the most engaging. Um, so, you know, deck building and problem solving is fun in every format, but when it actually comes down to like, all right, you got to pl- navigate a turn where you have a brainstorm and your opponent can have all these free spells and you're under pressure from wasteland, and you know that the game could end next turn um, if you if you mess up. Like the the number of decisions, and importantly, the number of meaningful decisions you face in, in a game of Legacy, I think is, is higher than other formats. Given the number of decisions,
0: I know a lot of times, uh, or a unique part of Legacy compared to other formats is uh, obviously that the cantrip, suite, ponder, and brainstorm are in pretty much every blue shell in legacy. And those involve a lot of detailed uh, decisions and planning ahead. And you have experience both casting brainstorm ponder decks. I mean, you won, uh, was it, I have it here, Grand Prix Louisville in 2017 with a death, Shaman build. That was a ponder, brainstorm, very cool deck, but you also have uh, results with uh, legacy elves, obviously legacy Jund, which we'll get into. Do you find the, the difference of navigating those games with a blue cantrip style shell versus a more mid-range shell like Jund or a combo deck like Elves uh, varies heavily, or is it you have enough reps that you recognize how to navigate those turns pretty much the same across every kind of archetype?
2: Good question. Um, I, I, th- I think certainly every deck is different, and uh, having access to that the card selection of blue does feel a lot different. Um, but that's not to say that these non-blue decks don't have really challenging um patterns as well the thing with brainstorm is just the the raw number of ways that you can play a turn and resolve a brainstorm is so large whereas other decks like elves or you know some ancient tomb deck or whatever it might be it's like you probably you face a lot of really challenging decisions and the way you make those decisions has a huge impact on the game, but there are just not quite as many choices, you know? Um mm. So th- that's, I think, what's special about Brainstorm and, and
1: all of the, the similar cards. I think I remember uh, early on when I was starting to get into the format, I read an article of yours where you, you specifically talked about feeling like a powerful wizard and, and talking about Brainstorm and ha- all the possible ways to use Brainstorm. And that was something that like, Really intrigued me because I hadn't played with the card since Mercadian Masks, I think. Yeah,
2: for sure. Um, yeah, brainstorming is really, really fun, and that—that's certainly one of the draws of the Legacy format. Is like you get to play with this really, really sweet card and have that great gameplay experience.
0: Yeah, I was curious to know if, if uh, since I've seen you play uh, from combo to mid range to control, going all the way back. I mean, one of my favorite videos to watch of somebody executing a game plan is there's a video back in the old scg uh open eras where you were playing top miracles and you're playing against a stone blade player and they had just uh maneuvered to a position where they had uh, a stronger board presence they had uh more cards in hand you were down to top and lands and two cards in hand that you we learned we discovered was force plus blue card and you just navigated yourself to a position to have uh, an overhauling uh and treat the angels for lethal through a counterspell. Sure. And it was just like, it, it was one of my favorite games to, to, to watch, being like, this is somebody who's navigated a plan from like X turns out and like understanding like what matters. And then I've also seen you just like, you know, cast a billion spells in a turn off elves. So it's like your range is wide. And as somebody who pretty much, you know, I'm pretty much a Tundra player through and through. And I was curious as to like, if you have um, preferences as you, you know, bounce around between all these different archetypes and have strengths with all of them.
1: Phil his personality off of this video, actually. Yeah, <laughs> It's who
2: I am. It's who I am deep down. That's good to know. Um, the first thing I'll say is, like, it's all about variety for me, especially as a longtime player. Like, I, you know, I love to get into all the different um, archetypes and experiences you can have in Legacy. Um, another thing about me is I'm kind of like a contrarian. Like, mm. if everyone is out there believing that, you know, Brainstorms and Delvers and Fetchlands, that's the best thing you can do, I want to be like, no, I'm going to prove them wrong. I'm going to do something completely different. So that's, like, not necessarily a purely good quality, but it is something that makes me show up to tournaments with elves and Jund and weird stuff. Um, I have had, at various points in my career, kind of like a revelation or, like, my friends have given me a talking to where it's like, Dude, you got to just play brainstorm. You know, like you're make, you're really making this way harder than it has to be when you choose a non-blue deck. When obviously the weapons that blue has available are, are so strong, and that has been true at certain points. Like you know, elves is a great deck, and, and uh, um, there have been times when it's it's uh, correct or even like a great idea to play elves. But in general, I think if you just play a brainstorm deck every time for your whole legacy career, that really can't be a bad idea because the, the card is so good, the color is so good, the flexibility is there, the customizability is there. So I do think that, um, you know, I, I would miss Brainstorm the most if I was to sort of take that out of my repertoire.
0: Is there a particular kind of Brainstorm deck in the current format that you would gravitate towards if there was a major event this weekend?
2: It's a great question. So I think back on like my history with Legacy and when I was playing the most and when I considered myself like, you know, kind of at the near the top of the Legacy uh, game, I love to play control decks. I love to play Miracles specifically or, you know, like a reactive mid-range deck. Um, And that was awesome. But today, when I only get to play like a little bit more infrequently and I'm not super sharp on the metagame and what's going on with all the different matchups. I, I, heck, I don't even know, like, what all the popularly played cards do in Legacy these days because there's so much, um, you know, mixed in. I'm sure we'll get to that later on. But anyway, what I'm getting at is that now that I, I'm not, like, a finely tuned, you know, perfect high-volume Legacy player, I would probably like to choose something a little more proactive, like a Delver deck. Um, and, yeah, when I... You know, one of one, the events that I play at the highest stakes these days is like I'll join a Magic Online Championship Series event in, in Legacy. And I usually perform the best when I play Delver. Like, is it Delver, Team or Delver, mm-hmm. Rixus Delver? Uh, do you have any? And I, I want to uh, hop into uh,
0: what you think about the format uh, as you have played it recently. I know I've seen you a couple times at Game Story, uh, um, But are you planning on going to Eternal Weekend in December? Is that anywhere on your radar?
2: yeah yeah i, I really want to go um i went to eternal weekend last year it was in philadelphia last year and i was playing and i was like this is just the the best this event is so cool like i can't believe i don't mark it off on my calendar every single year like I, i've probably been maybe three times in the last 10 years or something but i i kind of swore to myself last year i was like no matter what i'm gonna have to go in 2023 and like you know bring my best and maybe try to find, find a way to have like a fully powered vintage deck and stuff like that. But, nice. but yeah, I, I am really, really, really hoping I can make it uh, to, to Pittsburgh in December. Oh yeah. I look forward to losing to you in the finals. Is
0: there, <laughs> yeah. do, do you, do you have a, uh, is there a, a, a one or two decks that are currently like, I'm likely going to play this in legacy. I'm likely going to play this in vintage that you're thinking of as you like prep for it, if you're doing any prep at all.
2: Legacy is tough. Legacy is pretty wide open. I, I would be I would be uh, willing to play like almost anything if I thought it was really good. Vintage, um, I usually go for a combo deck like a Dark Ritual deck. Um, in particular, I just can never beat the bizarre Baghdad decks with anything besides uh, Dark Rituals. So um, you know, Doomsday I like to play, and there's this new Beseech the Mirror, which is a, a fun card that I want to I want to see what I can do with that one. Um, but, yeah, Legacy, I, I could see playing anything. If, if it was tomorrow, I'd probably play Grixis Delver, but plenty of time to try to brew something up or find a new deck that I like.
1: And you're or you're I... headed to, uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you're headed to Vegas uh, in, in, in a bit, too, so you'll be playing uh, at a pretty high level there as well. Worlds, I think, right? Yeah,
2: that, that's right. The end of September is the World Championships. That's standard in booster draft. So as we get into... Uh... Talking about potential legacy decks, and Grixis Delver is
0: one of the top decks in the format. It just adopted one of the best cards to come out in a long time for uh, Black as a Fair Color and Orcish Bowmasters. That card is, like, I don't know if you've seen uh, recent uh, metagame data, but it is, like, in half of decks. Like, you can expect to run into it literally as a four of in half of the decks that you run into in a field. And uh, one of the decks, we, we want to talk about John's. I know people watching obviously want to hear you talk about Jund. You're the Jund guy. You are the man when it comes to that archetype. And uh, we've seen you recently piloted on 90s MTG uh, to a winning record in uh, playing some number of orgish Bowmasters. Is Jund at all something that you would consider for a high-level legacy event, or is that something that you keep to the
2: locals? Good question. Um, it's somewhere in between those two. Like, I think I would need to do some some work and sort of, like, well, as we talked about earlier, I feel like the non-brainstorm decks have the burden of proof. Like you got to be pretty sure that this is a competitive strategy before you bring it to a big tournament. And so I would have to, I would have to, you know, prove it with Jund, um that this is a good deck. I do think it has some good things going for it. Uh, I also, I've been winning more than I've been losing with it recently. Um, like that's actually one of the. Th- <laughs> I'll, I'll i'll go back and uh tell the story of like how i ended up playing Jund um more more recently is uh i usually take like informal notes when i when i play like on magic online you know i i, I it's not anything too in-depth but i'll just go like oh you know i won two0 against death and taxes or i lost one two against against reanimate or whatever and so uh at a certain point i was like hey, let me actually do something with these notes. Like, let me compile them and see if I can learn anything. And I, I added up, like, you know, all, all my results from a, a, couple, a couple of different top archetypes uh, that I had been playing with. And surprisingly, like, John was one of my highest win rate decks. So I was like, hmm, I wonder if there's something there. Let me pursue it a little bit. And, um, yeah, John just kind of surprises you. Like, it never looks that great on paper, but it's got all these great weapons and sideboard options and... Um, so a few good matchups out there, uh, and then Orcish Bowmasters got printed. So I'm like, well, this is one of the best new cards in the format. Jund is a great home for it, and it's not particularly good against Jund. So you're getting like the best of both worlds in that sense. So that's why I decided to um, you know play a bit more with it after the release of Lord of the Rings.
1: Yeah, I think we watched you uh, recently, like steamroll uh, an eight cast deck uh, on '90s MTG. Just like it was, it was, it was a masterclass in like what, what a Jun deck can do against one of the more powerful decks in the format.
2: Yeah, for sure, and that's that's what I mean by getting the great sideboard options. Like, hey, if I show up to a tournament and I really want to beat eight cast, it's like you've got Pernicious Deed, you've got Ancient Grudge, you've got Force of Vigor. Um, you know, you got a collector oof and ways to search for it. Like the, the, the weapons are there. It's just a matter of if you can uh, if you can nail it for for the matchups that are that are really most important that weekend.
0: Yeah, that it's a color combination that currently in Legacy is actually like really well suited to deal with how diverse the card pool is at the top tables uh we recently had uh strifo on who like originated strifo pile mm-hmm. and he's just on four he's on four assassins trophy and like the more and i zach talked about it off camera the more we were like man that card is extremely well positioned right now given that like the four color decks don't play that many basics if they play any at all same thing with the delver decks that now are in a third color so it's like maybe they don't play the basic anymore so the assassin's trophy is typically free uh or rather there's no downside to being able to hit Your opposing Caracas or an opposing Planeswalker or whatnot. It seems like it's just like one of the more underused tools in the new format, given that like fair decks can get into black more easily now because Bowmasters are so good. Is, is is Assassin's Trophy like similar on your radar as like something that you'd play in high numbers in your current versions of Jund? Or do you have enough tools that you like sort of don't need this catch-all?
2: I, well, I love it. And that's the right word for it is catch-all. Um, so, you know, I really like to play the efficient cards, lightning bolt, um, as my, you know, a premier one mana, one mana removal spell, but you need to diversify. You need to have a way to kill Murktide Regent and Planeswalkers, and you know, I can't count the number of times you or uh, Assassin Trophy has and you have gotten me out of mm. like sticky situations against Dark Depths, which would otherwise be a horrible matchup. Um, mm. So it just really does a lot, um, and you you add all the, those corner cases together and it just comes out to be a really desirable card
0: you have a lot of uh, one of the most uh for a lot of legacy players one of the best gps to watch coverage for at all is the one where you are doing both commentary and playing simultaneously uh it is colloquially known as gp reed (laughs) <laughs> and uh you 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 like played really really well really deep while also doing double duty on commentary you literally were in a win and in and you were like this close to top eight and you played grixis control in that metagame and this is like a long time ago back when like bailful and uh him to Torak were really good against Sensei's as divining top type strategies is is grixis which is colloquially known in legacy as blue jund is that something that you would explore in of in this kind of format where orcish bowmasters and Belfast strix
2: and things like that would still be available to you I would, yeah. You know, the same thing goes for both color combinations. You just have access to all these really, really awesome cards, and it's it's about finding a configuration that works for you and uh, can fight the important matchups. Now, one thing that I can say about both decks is a lot of the cards you're excited about cost two mana, and that's a dangerous spot in Legacy because especially in 2023 Legacy, like... A lot of times, the game is pretty much decided by the time you're untapping for your second turn. So if you are, if you get too much into the deck building of like, oh yeah, I love him to Torak, I love Billful Strix, I love Assassin's Trophy, I love Orcish Bowmasters, then like this is a real problem that you're going to have to address. Is is how do you take enough impactful actions that you're not falling behind, um, especially when you're on the draw before your second turn? So Grixis has the advantage that you can you can get Force of Will and Force of Negation, um, but this is a big problem that I've been running into with Jund also. And um, you know, not to discourage people, of course, from 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 trying out these decks, but just be aware that this is a big a big thing that you have to have on your radar is like what plays am I making to impact the game for for one mana and zero mana? Brainstorm and ponder don't count. <laughs> Those cards are great, yeah. but that's not That's not a turn one play that's going to help you keep pace against a a really, really fast legacy deck these days.
0: Yeah. Because you had mentioned that you're a contrarian and that you like proving proving the naysayers wrong, and uh, there's a bunch of new cards out of... Wilds of Eldraine that seem really, really good in Jund. And we're going to talk about uh, Questing Druid and Mosswood Knight. Those obviously seem like, you know, three for one, never-ending, re- recursive threat-like seem premier, premier for a Jund archetype. But one thing that we, uh, we didn't mention that you just made me think of. Up the Beanstalk has been seeing mm-hmm. a lot, a lot of action in like four-color and five-color like Uro value piles. And as right before we came on, I was like thinking, I was like, what cards do I remember replaying that were like sort of off the beaten path. And I remember there was one deck list, I don't remember where, but I remember you were playing murderous cut. And I was like, he's got murderous cut. And now we got up the beanstalk and fury (laughs) is busted. And I'm like thinking of all these five drops outside of blue. And I'm like, is up the beanstalk actually just the nut in non blue decks? Is this something that you've thought about at all beyond like me just having the epiphany moments before we hopped on this call?
2: Yeah, up the beanstalk is just a broken card. So every format has its own set of like ways that you can kind of take advantage of this card um but yeah for sure like combining it with free spells or or discounted spells in any format is is very exciting and um yeah i think legacy is no exception all right so you heard it here first get your up the beanstalks
1: yeah (laughs) you know uh to to just jump back real fast to what you were talking about with the with the two drop slot um, you know, because there's so much pressure on, on that slot, do you think that maybe uh it's time for spell snare to come back into play? It's it's been out of vogue for so long. Yeah, it depends you know, exactly what the
2: how the metagame uh shake shakes out, but spell snare I do think is a card that like fair blue decks could could consider. Um yeah, I mean Orcish Bowmaster is Right off the bat, it's it's kind of like your, the, your closest approximation to uh, Orcish Bowmaster's Elemental Blast, right? Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's one of the great things about having a, a, a purely black threat is you dodge all the Elemental Blasts. But um, Spellsner is, yeah, probably one of the cleanest answers out there for, for that.
0: Have you considered any of those uh, new cards from Wild of Eldraine into uh, the legacy
2: decks that you've played recently? Is there anything that's exciting you from that new set? Um. Yeah, I like the cards. I like um, up the beanstalk, though. My first instinct would yeah. be to pair that with for, for, Force of Will. Um, I like questing druid, though. You have to be careful because one toughness can can get you into trouble um, in Legacy. Uh, but yeah, for sure, there's there's a lot of really cool stuff. The Sleep Cursed Fairy, I think, is is a great card as well. But yeah, where have you where have you been thinking of that card? Just anywhere that you want. One mana, blue threats. Uh, not, I'm not like ready to say it's better than Delver or anything. But if, if yeah, you yeah, want yeah. more, or if you felt like you wanted to avoid having the, those one toughness cards, Ward Two is really nice on, on a one mana play too.
1: Yeah. the 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 problem I have with with uh, Sleep Curse Fairy is top decking it. Like, it's amazing to get it on turn one, drop it on turn one, and then, like, you know, a couple turns it'll, t- it'll untap. And you're ba- it's basically doing a really good uh, uh, impression of Nimble Mongoose, right? Um, but uh, drawing it, like, in the middle of the game just seems like the absolute worst.
2: Yep, that's a good point, for sure.
0: Zach, if you draw it in the middle of the game, you have obviously never missed a land drop, and you're the Ancient <laughs> yeah. Tomb guy, you have all this extra mana. Just you just pay the mana that. and get the stun counters yeah. off him, of my just dude. Just stun it, face. It's yeah. crazy. It's crazy, Reed. I don't know what he's talking about. Zach, come on, man. You have all the mana. Yeah. Uh, uh, let's. I, I want to talk about one card that's been on my radar, and I want to. I want to see if 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 Reed if we're on the same wavelength. Bro, is reap is reap the nut? <laughs> is reap just the card we've been wanting this whole time in the Bowmaster metagame? Yeah. For those who don't cool. know, reap is a one, man, one, one in a green for an instant that says mm-hmm. you can regrow cards out of your graveyard equal to the number of black permanents your opponents have, and all of our opponents have black permanents
2: on the board thanks to Orcs Bowmasters. Let me start by saying like, this is what I love about legacy, you know, the idea that you could bust out a card like this, you know, out of, out of the, uh, probably not even the trade binder out of the, the old white box that's been in your closet for, uh, for 20 years. And you can play against somebody in there and they're like, Oh man, I never thought of somebody using this card. So this is, this is the beauty. And yeah, I mean, reap would be a, a really fun card. To play in in Jund or whatever it might be. Uh, It's just like the. It's just what what I said earlier, or what we said earlier about choosing your matchups. Um, And I wish sometimes that you could get 20, 25 sideboard cards and find room for all all this stuff. Um, But yeah, I mean, you just choose. Like, do you want it to be a meltdown against eight cast Do you want it to be a choker, carpet of flowers against the blue decks? Do you want it to be reap against the black decks? All these cards are just so awesome and can hit so well in the right circumstances. Um,
1: and it's it's on you to, to make make those circumstances happen. Reap, reap came out before they just decided that like if you're going to regrow something, you have to exile it. So I'm pretty sure like you want two reaps if you're going to be playing one reap, right? Oh, yeah, most definitely.
0: <laughs> we're, we, are, we are trying to go infinite. That is what we're yeah. trying to do. Yeah, we just let our opponent have all of the Bone Masters so we can just keep regrowing stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Reid, when, you, when you're ever, uh, so like when you're thinking of uh, new decks or, or taking the contrarian brew and wanting to prove people wrong, where do you, when you're brewing a deck, where does your process start? Do you go from, for example, a particular card and you're like, I think this is underexplored and I want to maximize it? Or do you think of a certain archetype and go, I want to explore and, and improve upon this archetype in ways that I think the community isn't really recognizing certain avenues to go down where, where do you start in your process to to brew something that you think is going to be effective for uh, a tournament
2: it really could be any of the above you never know where inspiration is going to come from but um it can be a card that you really like it can be an archetype it can be sort of a dynamic in the metagame that you want to exploit so like we we're talking about up the beanstalk a moment ago so when i see card like that i you know first thing that pops in my mind is like, how do I punish people for doing that? Like, how do I get my Narsets and Hole breachers in the mix so that pe- people regret playing that card against me? Um, so, you know, any anything like that uh, can, can be a spark of inspiration. Is when you are,
0: do you, do you find that you, you gravitate more towards looking at the metagame and how to attack it as opposed to uh, starting from a, a, a ground zero sort of, powerful point of view uh because when you were like oh yeah if i look at beanstalk and i want to punish them it also reminds me back in the treasure cruise days when you were the only player playing a plateau and uh what was the what's the deal three gain three spell lightning helix lightning helix yes Hmm. there was there was a point during uh uh during the delve era of, of treasure cruise where you had a lightning helix in your deck because blue red treasure cruise was obviously the best thing and you're like you know, I was, you and I were playing the same deck, except you had Lightning Helix in your deck. And I was like, there's no way Reed's wrong. So what didn't I see? You know what I mean? I was like, what didn't I see that he got to Lightning Helix? And and that's where I'm thinking, like, is that, do you go like the weakness that these decks have, I want to attack those versus, do you find yourself doing that more often in a metagame when you're playing uh, the, the style of decks that you like to play, as opposed to something like, oh, Beseech is this new, busted car that can do a bunch of busted things what's the most broken thing i can do
2: and brew from there that sort of lanes so the lightning helix i'm guessing what happened there was i had just played enough against probably the important matchup was delver and i you know identified this pattern where like the games would go really long and i would stabilize at a low life total but then i'd have to sweat them killing me with with, you know, treasure cruising into their remaining three lightning bolts, that kind of thing, once I had, lo- once I had locked up the, the game with my removal spells. Oh, yeah, 100%. Um, I, can,
0: I can tell you that, like, when I saw you do that, lo- lo- the Lightning Helix tech, that same event, I was knocked out of the event because I played against Burn, which was still a, a, a fairly popular deck. And at the time, Miracles didn't really have any reasonable life game mm-hmm. to play in the 75. This was back when, um, like, Philip Schoeniger was uh advocating for miracles players to like go down to like 19 lands all non-basics and things like that and the second that i i established a counterbalance and i had everything locked up and then my opponent cast a a rift bolt to kill me uh and burn and knock me out of the tournament i was like should have played the lightning helix
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah and then you know with with all the card selection and like snapcaster mage the 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 singleton um weird cards like that pull extra weight um but yeah that. That's when I was playing a lot and when you could get 100 reps in, in a given matchup and, like, identify those patterns, then I would look for those creative ways to, to solve the problems that I was identifying. Um, these days, much more, uh, to answer your question, I, I would just focus on something that I believe is powerful in its own right. And this is, bo- this is for a few reasons. Like, number one, it's just easier. You don't have to be a master of every little detail in order to, to execute well on that. And then also like legacy is just really really diverse. So even if you can identify a trend in the metagame, oh up the beanstalk is the hot new thing. Like a, a lot of great players are playing with it. Uh, I want to be prepared and 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 one up the up the beanstalk people. And then it's like you do that and you just get paired against reanimator storm death and taxes. And you're like oh well that was counterproductive, you know? <laughs> yeah. So it's you've already nailed, you've already nailed the metagame. <laughs> yeah you you. There's just enough, there's just just so much that you have to deal with in legacy that I I actually think it's often a mistake to like hyper focus on one element.
1: It is one of the things that I like about legacy is that unlike you know like standard or modern, uh, people can't pivot as quickly. So you're not you don't end up being like a week late to the to the like hot new tech when you're like all right I'm going to do this and then everyone's like yeah, well, I'm already on this to, to beat the other thing. And now that you've sideboarded all your red blasts against all these non-red decks, you know, that kind of thing. Like, uh, Yeah, totally. It, it, pe- people people pivot a lot slower in in this format. So th- it's one of the nice things about it. Reed, could you, uh,
0: I, I have just a question that this is making me think of. Um, I'm just curious if there was ever a time where you recognized a very particular sort of like level up moment throughout your career where you were like, Oh I now that I understand this, the way that I view uh, how to attack a metagame or how to approach a tournament or anything like that, has there ever been like those kinds of uh, watershed moments for you that you like remember distinctly?
2: Yeah, good question. Um, there is one memory that I can share and uh, get I'm gonna get like a tiny bit into the weeds here, but for the sake of the story, it was um, this was a standard pro tour. And a couple of teammates and I were going to play Jund, you know, in the era of like Thrag Tusk and Farseek and stuff like that. But we had this problem against the red aggro decks where um, you, they, they would kind of go wide with a lot of like smaller creatures. And just having to point removal spells at everything they played was sometimes ineffective. So we're like, man, you know, this should be a good matchup. You have Thrag Tusk, you have cheap removal. Like, what's going wrong here? How do we solve this problem? And uh, my teammate, Ben Sec, who he's like super, super old school player, been around forever. Like, he's seen everything and, and solved every problem that there is to solve. He's like, this. here's what I do in this situation. And it, he, you know, walked me over to his computer, pulled up Gatherer, and we literally searched every single legal card in, in our colors through the lens of like, how do we solve this problem against the this very specific problem against the, the very specific matchup? What we came up with was Strangleroot Geist. Two mana, two one Undying. And we're like, most people consider this like some kind of green beatdown card. But we're just going to put it in our deck to block. Yeah. Strangleroot Geist, go. Good luck attacking me with all your tutus and that you know that was like how we came up with this very unintuitive solution to a problem and so i've tried to carry that like strategy with me ever since where it's you know let's play the matchup with an eye for what's actually going on in the games identify the problems and then sometimes it's appropriate to think outside the box in terms of ways to 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 level your opponents or to solve those problems
0: yeah, that's that. That's really enticing. There's a um, a new deck that with from Beseech. It's the new mono black Helm. I mean, mono black Helm deck has been around for a little bit, uh, sure. but it, it's gotten a huge upgrade from Beseech. And uh, the when I saw that that deck won uh, the ELM, the Legacy, the big Legacy event over in Europe, and it was playing a uh, Beseech, and it was getting to tutor for things like Karn, which you expect, uh, Helm of Obedience, obviously, but then it had the one of ill gotten gains. That it wow. could beseech for, because with Leyline of the Void and or uh, Dothy Voidwalker, that it would just effectively be a mind twist. And against certain opponents, where you wouldn't, you, you needed some to, to be able to just like play a Leyline and then just Dark Ritual for beseech and have a way to kill uh, the opponent before they could kill you on the backswing. Because uh, Helm is obviously pretty mana intensive, and Karn can't necessarily get a win condition or a way to stop uh, within the same turn cycle. And so they just found this like super fast way to like be faster than matchups that They were too slow for, and that made me think: like, how did you, how would you get to ill-gotten gains if you didn't look at it through the lens of a stranglerootgeist? You know? Yeah, yeah, it's a
2: super valuable exercise to do with with tutors. It reminds me of the people who go really deep on the doomsday piles too, where Mm -hmm. it's like, all right, well, like, what you know, what pile do I get against this hate piece, and what pile do I get against this hate piece, and what cards do I have to put in my deck to set myself up to beat everything? So there, there's a lot of really cool stuff for the for the folks who are, are really into it.
1: Yeah, there's a value there also into like looking looking to see what the rest of the people who are building that same kind of deck are, are doing as well. And just be like, okay, what's you know, what's different about this? that's how I ended up on uh like berserk in a Death Shadow deck, just being like, how do I solve I'm constantly running into people just blocking me with their uh, you know, they're Elvish Visionary and then bouncing it with Wirewood Symbiote. And I'm just sitting here, like, behind a 1212 wondering what to do. And it's like, oh, yeah, well, this guy's playing Berserk, and that seems like it works fine. Uh, yeah, plus and, and... you get to play
2: with Berserk, and that's just yeah. so
1: sweet. Berserk <laughs> is the best. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah I'll, I'll, when when Zach, when Zach and I would actually get to get together in person and play test, he would always be like, I'm going to kill you with the Berserk with the good art, not the Berserk with the bad art.
1: <laughs> now the there's three arts. Pre- yeah.
0: <laughs> now there's three arts. Yeah, now we appreciate it. Reed, when you are uh when you think of like um moments in legacy that you really enjoy is there a type of deck that you enjoy watching people play that you may not play yourself um i'm thinking of an example cuz we were talking about you know that that idea of like ways to approach a matchup um i'm thinking like i always appreciate watching a good storm pilot who's like really proficient even though i know that i like am not nearly well suited to play that kind of deck uh and i appreciate like the ways that they think through how to navigate turn cycles the way that I don't similar. Like when you were playing, um, like when you play Jund, and I would watch those games back, I'm thinking I know how to play like a sort of mid rangey interactive strategy, but like the, the timing of things, the way that like, I watch you would play versus decisions that I'm making. It's just like, it's different. And there's a lot to learn there. Is there there, like a, a type of archetype or a player in particular that you feel you learn
2: a lot from when you watch? I like to watch um, the decks, you know, say like Wasteland, Richard, and Port decks, where they're the the really skilled pilots are kind of taking every step to like slowly tighten the noose on mm. the opponent and putting every hate piece exactly into place, and you know, knowing how to how and when to attack the mana and stuff like that. I think there's a lot of subtlety there, which I really appreciate about Legacy in a world where um, really flashy plays and Grizzlebrand brand, draw seven cards. And, you know, all this stuff is possible, like really focusing on the, the very small matchups between cards and like preventing people from making those really cool plays. Um, that's, that's one of the fo- aspects of the format that I enjoy. And I like to watch a, a really, really good death in taxes or lands player navigate those games.
0: Is there a, in, in your recollection of, uh, of, of, playing legacy is there a a match in particular that like the moment of you playing legacy where you're like this is the best play i've ever made in this format
2: (laughs) um i had (laughs) one game where it was any it was a magic online tournament say 18 months ago something like that Mm. um and i was playing elves and I played a game, I think I won on like turn three or turn four through like several really potent hate pieces. And I completed the game and I was like, wow, like I think that was the best game of magic I ever played, which was like kind of like a tongue in cheek thing because it was a very short game. And there was like just a couple of like very meaningful decisions. But it was one of those games where I was like, yeah, I had to to put like every piece exactly in place To avoid disaster and like have the result be me winning because my opponent had a plague engineer and it's like if i navigated incorrectly against the plague engineer that was going to wipe my whole board and you know so all these different things and that's one of the cool things about legacy is you know sometimes the games are very long but sometimes the games are very short and in both cases like you you better play tight you know to to avoid disaster and and make sure the the close calls are going in your favor Zach, before I don't know if there's uh, any last questions that you have before we,
0: uh, you know, tighten things up here. But uh, I wanted to ask Reed, I know that, like, I only know you uh, so much through magic. I know that you live now uh, in New York, where I get to see you at the locals every once in a while. Um, and, you know, it's always fun to talk magic. But I, I'm just curious, man, like, what is it that you like to do outside of magic? Is there like a, a hobby that you find time for that uh, you enjoy besides slinging some spells?
2: Good question. Um, yeah, well, so here's the thing is when you ask that question to like any normal person, a lot of people will have one thing, you know, one hobby that they're like super into. But for me, like my hobby and my work and everything is like all rolled into this crazy uh, passion and time sink of magic. So A lot of like the rest of my life is the goal is like to find a little balance, right? Like I don't, Mm. I purposely don't get myself like really, really, really into something else because that would crowd out all the normal, like healthy experiences that, you know, a human being can have. Um, So, you know, I I try to try to spend my time in a balanced way and like get some physical activity, get some nature, get some social life, you know, all these like little bits of things. Um, But yeah, i mean i love gaming um i got a membership to the rock climbing gym down the street uh so i find some some fun things to do but yeah i would say mostly outside of magic it's like let me try to have a balanced balanced life this is, yeah is this the cliffs yeah exactly
0: oh yeah dude the cliffs are great that, that place is that place is so awesome uh <laughs> anybody who hasn't been rock climbing before go, go to a rock wall and like have somebody walk you through how to actually do it it is it is uh, uh an absolute thrill especially yeah, if they have really a, the the rotating wheel where like the wheel just keeps rotating you just keep climbing until you fall off have you gotten a chance to do that yet
2: <laughs> i haven't done it myself but i've seen this it's that's uh, pretty crazy oh, it, it sounds it is, like it a is, night terror to me no <laughs> dude like let, let me tell you Le- nightmare <laughs> if, if, if there's if there's
0: anything we learned about like you know wanting to, to to grind until the very end, reap for your reap, the physical manifestation of that is trying to last on the rolling rock wall for as long as you can.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, most of my physical activity is based on biking. I'm just like I'll I'll bike there. You know, it's, it's Philly's a nice small town too. So much smaller than, than than New York. When I lived in New York, I didn't realize how large it was until I moved to Philly and was like, oh, I can like traverse the entire town in like. 40 minutes, you know, oh, get to one side, yeah, get to one side for the other in 40 minutes, like on a bike. Uh, uh, one of the things, uh, you know, I, I wanted to I wanted to plug real fast is that, uh, so, uh, we wanted to get, uh, for the, the deck list from 90s NTG that you played uh, against that eight cast match, uh, and, uh, and, t- and talk about it, but we're gonna have that on our, uh, on our, uh, Moxfield site. So, a quick shout out to Moxfield. Eternal Dirtles is proud to be sponsored by Moxfield. Moxfield is the best Magic: The Gathering deck building website on the internet. You can create, share, and find decks from Commander to Legacy and even fan-supported formats like Pre-Modern and Old School. You can see all of our decks on our Moxfield. Follow the links below to stay tuned. And Reid, I also wanted to uh, wanted to extend to you. Uh, we're gonna get you a T-shirt. We've got a few few different T-shirts, so we'll have you pick one out. We've got uh, the Eternal Dirtles classic T-shirt, the What It Do T-shirt. Uh, uh, Phil asking you what your deck does. Uh, and then we have the Dirtle Mania t-shirt as well. Um, so we'll, we'll get you we'll get you one of those t-shirts for being on with us. We really appreciate you coming on and, and hanging out with us for a while.
2: Yeah, thank you very much. I'll cherish it.
0: <laughs> Reed, where, where can people find you, my dude? Where, where, where should people go? Where should people
2: catch all your stuff? So all of my uh, strategy content, my videos, my written stuff goes up on ChannelFireball.com. That's that's uh, number one place to find my work. Also, you can sometimes catch me streaming uh, on twitch.tv slash reader rabbit.
0: We'll have that link down below. Uh, And uh, before any final send-offs, I want to plug one of my favorite quotes of all time. It's actually a redo quote. Uh, Reed was playing Miracles. Who would have thought? He was playing Miracles in a video uh, for Channel Fireball. And he played through a league. And at the end of it, he said, well, there you go. That's pretty much the Miracles experience. We worked extremely, extremely hard, and we won half of our matches. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yep, that's it. That's it. <laughs> that's great. Uh, yeah, I think with that, uh, we could probably sign off from there. Uh, thanks, everybody, for watching. Uh, like, comment, subscribe, all that stuff, and uh, we'll catch you next time. Reed, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Bye, everyone. Hey if you like this video, why don't you check out this one with Bosch and roll We interviewed him right after he won the scG con open for Baltimore. Thanks for watching everybody have a good one.